Hello and welcome to the April edition of the Xcoders Community Podcast. I'm Jared Sorge, and this month I'm welcomed by two special guests. Tim Eckel. Hello. And Olaf Hellman. <sighs> Hi, Jared. Uh, we've got a special treat this month. Tim and I are going to have a debate about the merits of Xcode project generation, or lack thereof. And Olaf is going to be our, uh, our moderator today, so I'm going to hand it off to Olaf. Yeah, I'm going to try and keep uh keep the uh the fight fair here. Are <laughs> are we ready to compile? Yeah. The uh the name of our group is the Xcoder. So Xcode is kind of the uh the uh spiritual foundation of of where we live and uh there are apparently different ways to to uh get get your code running in in Xcode. The traditional way uh, just open up Xcode and new project, and there you go. Couldn't be any easier. And yet, apparently, <laughs> some some people are uh, advocating for not using Xcode to make Xcode projects. Is that is that right? Kind of. Yes. Uh, okay, so we we have prevarication from the <laughs> from the starting line. Uh, uh, <laughs> so this let me let me give a little backstory here. Um, and Jared, correct me if I'm I'm misrecounting any of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an Xcoders meeting a few months ago, and we were talking, I think, about um, that most common of Xcode in source control complaints, the merge conflict. Mm-hmm. Right, you've got your Xcode project, and you've been working on it with your team for a while, and two different people add two different files at more or less the same time, and then at some point you got to merge your branches. Yep. Uh, and then there's a merge conflict inside your project file. Uh, some people just say, ah, you know, forget it. I'll just add both of the files again in Xcode. Uh, some people are more adventurous. They open up the project file in a text editor. Um, but here I am walking back from the meeting after our talks. And um, I think I was just off on a tear about, you know, <laughs> there's all these solutions coming out that say, Forget committing your Xcode project at all. You can just generate it. We'll look for all the files on your disk. We'll produce a project file. And I'm sitting here going, Xcode projects aren't so bad. So this is basically <laughs> my position for the rest of the day. Is Xcode projects aren't so bad. Um, and I'm in the camp where I've resolved those merge conflicts by hand before. Um, I've done surgery on the Xcode project file before. And yeah, it's... It's weird and it can be a little complicated the first couple of times, but um, I don't think that it it justifies throwing the good out with the bad and saying we're going to use a whole different tool instead of Xcode projects or to make our Xcode projects. Yeah, I have done that uh, uh, repair the Xcode project by hand uh, many, many times. Um, And certainly there there is a... um, uh, a nice uh, ideal in mind of ooh, if we could avoid having to do that, um, yeah. Any, um, I say, no, no price is too large for for that pain. <laughs> but I, but I do. I now having done it a few times, I agree. It is not that bad once you once you get the hang of it and once you figure out what uh, what you have to do. But it is tricky, and depending on. If it's just adding one file, then that might not be so bad. But if it's 
multiple files or you're shuffling things around and creating a new framework out of some existing files, that could be quite painful. Yeah. And and also it it is fair to think of of uh if you're if you want to have a uh, a team culture where uh it should be it should be easy to do easy things. Um I think uh uh <clears throat> having an having to uh uh, deal with a merge conflict in an Xcode project file as kind of the basic, one of the basic things you have to do to be part of the team. That seems um, that seems like it's uh, inflicting too a little bit too much pain on, on your team if that's kind of the the table stakes for for being a, a, a developer on on the team. Welcome to the team. Here's a merge conflict. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I also want to get something straight is I'm also a fan of Xcode projects, right? It's not that I'm against the Xcode project itself. Cool. But I've found what project generation lets me do is make them ephemeral. So when I screw it up, I have one command and I've regenerated my project. And that's been awesome. I've really enjoyed having having things set up that way. Um, yeah. So, 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 Jared, why, why don't you go through kind of a uh, the uh, the the typical setup you have mm-hmm. of you know your your workflow working with um, uh, Xcode project generation yeah. out of you know whatever whatever system you use, and there are there are a few different choices for uh, for folks who who want to do this, right? There are. Uh, I use a tool called Xcode Gen. I think that's the most popular, but. I could be wrong about that. I know Google has a thing to generate projects. Uh, they're also built into the new newfangled build systems like Bazel and Buck. I think each of those have their own generators. Um, I've not tried any of those other ones. I've seen Xcode Gen. I've worked with Xcode Gen. I like Xcode Gen. That's kind of the one that that I'm working with. So the way the way that my workflow works now is I have a command in a make file that runs a script and it will make sure that I'm using the correct version of Xcogen. If not, it will download it automatically and I get that all set up for me. And then it will generate the project. And the generated project is based on a series of YAML files, which are, it could be YAML or it could be JSON. That's kind of up to your, your preference. Um, I stick with YAML cause it's a bit more readable. Um, but you, you define your project in, one or you can break it up into multiple files. I've kind of stuck with the the structure of a project like we have at Lyft, and I can put a link to uh, the project template that I have online as well that kind of gives you an idea of how this is structured, where you have like, uh, it's a very modular setup. So you have your modules directory, and each, and each inside of that is a list of other directories, for one for each of your modules, and each module gets its own definition file that's imported into the main project file. Uh, Xcogen reads in the different configurations, and we can talk about the different ways you can set it up. Um, and it spits out an Xcode project on the other end. Um, one of the things that I've I've heard is let, like, let, let, let me just stop you yeah, there, Jared, and yeah. say that that doesn't sound simple. Uh, I think because I think you had had lost a hundred percent of my or <laughs> I'd lost a, at least ten percent of my attention halfway through trying to f- figure out this complicated web of of of, of what's uh, what the what the workflow is so the initial setup isn't necessarily simple um but 
once you're once you're converted to it, it's really simple because it's one command to regenerate your project. Yeah. So, um, but so understanding the the uh, this extra step involved in Xcode project generation that's a that's a, a a little bit of complexity added to added to a, a workflow compared with just hey there's your Xcode project mm-hmm. up and ru- up and running. Yeah. Okay. It, it also it also uh, encourages. I know uh, Olaf, you've given talks about X, XC config files. Um, yep. I use XC config files everywhere as, as well, and any like build scripts you can reference in your YAML files as part of a build phase and then reference the external script. So everything is like the YAML files themselves are very minimal and anything you need as like a configuration file or a script is stored externally. So it's all easily uh, parsable in your, your uh, Git tool. Like I use tower. And so I can see in all my diffs, like, Oh, this is where the module changed here. Or this is where I changed the script there instead of like embedding a script or a build setting in the project file and having to figure out where that stuff all lives in the actual project file. Because the project files, once you get a hold of them, you can kind of make some sense of them, but they're by and large not human readable. Like you, ha- it, it takes you a while to become good at it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I... And I, I kind of disagree. You're about to correct that. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, granted that, so I'll, I'll cop to something right away, and that's that the project files uh, make heavy use of those um, serial number looking identifiers on all the objects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the most common misconceptions about project files is that. Um, there's some, you know, opaque custom format that's beyond mortal understanding because one of people's first exposures to them is that, like, big list of serial numbers that says, I have a merge conflict between this 20-digit string and this other 20-digit string. What do I do? The thing that, if if there's one neat technical fact I want to share out of this podcast, it's this. Uh, Xcode project files are property lists. They're just a plist file, like any other info plist that you would work with with your app, uh, like any other additional piece of resources that you would um, embed in that app and then use like an NS dictionary. That's all they are. Um, if you look at a little chunk of that project file, you see that every dictionary just says, hey, you know, here's my type of object, here's my identifier, and then I have a bunch of properties. It just so happens that, you know, when you have a large group with a lot of source files in it, one of those properties is big list of other object identifiers. Mm-hmm. But by and large, if, you know, just like if you were reading a JSON file or reading a YAML file and you've got a very long uh, dictionary or array in there, if you've got an editor that can collapse those or if you're um, jumping back and forth to closing braces in your favorite textual command line editor, <laughs> um, the format itself becomes pretty friendly. Well, so is the um, the thing that I've experienced when uh, editing the the project files by hand is if if you make a mistake and somehow the project file is is no longer consistent, you go and try and open it in Xcode and just just mm-hmm. doesn't open and 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 you don't know why. Um, sure. Uh, I. When when that has happened to me, I've wished. Ooh, I wish there were a tool that would be able to go through and say, "Hey, what what is what is inconsistent about this Xcode project <laughs> file that is making Xcode not like it?" Yeah. And then I have to. Then you have to go and and diff diff to the 
previous version or the next version or what you're trying to match and try and try and figure that out but well that's that's the case with any uh any structured text format right um and it may be less likely in a, a yaml or a json based format that people are you know maybe more familiar with from other contexts or maybe that doesn't have to list out every file explicitly um but that's you know not necessarily unique to xcode yeah, I, I've got some scars here because the very first iOS job I had, I was working with one other developer, and this was prior to Xcode like um, mirroring the file system. So like now you can have al- Xcode essentially alphabetize things for you based on how the file system is organized, but this mm-hmm. was prior to that. And he really wanted things alphabetized. And so we found some gnarly Python script that we ran as a Git hook. And I... I and that would then reshuffle your project and make your things alphabetical in the, in the source lists. Uh, this was also <laughs> in Objective C, so that was fun because you then had to like keep your header and implementation files together. Uh, but I worked on that project I think for three months, and probably spent a cumulative two or three days of like troubleshooting Xcode project conflicts and restoring these conflicts and. When when I saw this uh, generated project um, uh, tool, I was like, "I'm in." <laughs> there, there's definitely up. some some uh, hurdle to to getting it in place, and so like that's why I have my template uh, Git repo. Like on GitHub, you can go and clone it, and it's got everything you need to get started. And it's it's definitely not as easy as file new project, but it's not bad. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty high bar to have to ask a tool, to, a third party tool to clear is to be as easy as as new project. Absolutely, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, Jared, I I think you touched on something that when if you have a, uh, a source code base uh, which is large enough or with enough wrinkles in it that somehow a a tool like uh, uh, like Xcodegen that's going to make uh, Xcode projects in a in a reliable, you know, reproducible way mm-hmm. um, is a is a great tool to have. Uh, you know, when you're working on a, a large uh, uh, a source code base, mm-hmm. I know at so at, at Microsoft um, on Office team where we have where we have to do cross platform stuff, uh, building libraries for Windows and Android and Mac and iOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Xcode project generation tool that says, "Hey, <laughs> um, this is the uh, these are the sources that you're you're using for uh, for every platform, and then uh, here's the sources that are specific to each individual platform, mm-hmm. and then it goes and makes projects for all the all the different platforms, including Xcode projects for mm-hmm. for Mac and." and iOS Mm -hmm. and that's just fantastic so that the uh, Android and Windows developers don't have to know anything about Xcode projects at all Mm -hmm. Um, and we can manage that that giant um, source code base how many of these projects do you have roughly like the sprawling the the office team oh there there are there are hundreds and actually, so this is uh, perhaps this is a um, uh, a trap that you might get into. That once it's easy to make an Xcode project, um, then the uh, the number of Xcode projects can just proliferate and <laughs> and become uh, unmanageable. Ju- you know, just the number of projects. Uh, like 
the analogy is I remember when um, uh, when I was growing up, we used to have like four TV stations, right? And and um, kind of dependably, one of the four stations had something that that I would want to watch or may <laughs> want to watch. And then cable came along. We had like now 300 TV stations, but it didn't. That somehow there was less that I wanted to watch on those 300 stations, right? Just cause, <laughs> ju- just the fact that you could, <laughs> it was easy to make a make a new cable TV channel didn't actually increase in it, the the quality at all, right? Mm-hmm, sure. So, um, is is a world with um, easy Xcode project generation somehow susceptible to the oh we're going to make a an Xcode project for every source file that you want to compile? <laughs> um, because because I because I see projects where that's kind of where the, kind of that's the direction that that the uh, that the team wants to go as if it's uh, if it's that easy let's just do it that way yeah that's more of a culture thing I would think like if your team or or your whoever you're working on is is highly in the let's modularize the world mindset then you might have a module that has two or three files in it and you might have thirty of those. Um, mm-hmm. a module doesn't necessarily beget a project. You can make a project out of a given module, but a module really begets a target is the, the bigger thing. And that can be part of a project or it can be part of just a bigger project. Like at, at Lyft, at my day job, we have hundreds of modules now, um, but not each of those is their own project. We only have one thing that makes a project. And I mean, that's the sort of explosion that... Um you might see as well in a CocoaPods ecosystem or a Carthage or a Swift Package Manager ecosystem, right? How many how many companies out there think that every five Swift files that are kind of tangentially related might have a public API and then toss them into a private CocoaPods spec repo? Oh yeah, yeah. So so this is a, this is a good question. How how does um, the Xcode project generation play uh, with other kinds of packaging of tools, so uh, Carthage or uh, CocoaPods or Swift Package, Swift Package Manager managed uh, packages modules. Yeah, I haven't used it directly with Carthage before. I know there is support in the the generator for some kind of Carthage hooks. Uh, CocoaPods is completely transparent because CocoaPods leans on the project itself, so you would generate your project and then a pod install, and then you get your workspace and CocoaPods will find your project file and do all the things it needs to do. Uh, as far as Swift PM goes, that is also built into Xcogen. So you can link in the external package and in the dependencies array on a given target, you, you can uh, tell, tell the dependency what the type is. So it could be another uh, target in your project. It could be a framework or it could be a Swift package. And so you say Swift package, give it the name, and it links it all. So can can I ask you a question, Jared? Yeah. Do you ever, it, it feels like we're starting to build up this sort of uh, tower of generated products, right? Like you, you start with your source files, and then you've got your Xcode gen YAML. Mm-hmm. And you say, go build me a project. And mm-hmm. like, okay, now uh, I need to bring CocoaPods into this whole thing. So I'm going to generate my project, and then I'm going to run pod install, mm-hmm. which generates a second project for CocoaPods and then a workspace to unify them. Do you find that in practice these abstractions start to get a little leaky? Do you wind up with um, additional space for 
issues to creep in for incompatibilities for you know losing out on some of the configurability that you might get with an Xcode project directly. How does how does that hold up over time? With CocoaPods in particular, I try to steer away from them as much as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> because I don't necessarily like that it's rebuilding my source files on every build, and like because of reasons of CocoaPods itself, um, I might have a little bit of not invented here syndrome as well, and like I don't, I don't want to necessarily lean on somebody else's thing because every line of code that I ship that's not mine, I'm still liable for when I ship it. Mm. Um, so that's like a, a dependencies philosophy. So there are definitely different parts of philosophy that get in here. Like, is your team pro, uh going to do a lot of modules, or is your team going to do a lot of cocoa pods? That plays into project generation somewhat, mm-hmm. but it's more of a team culture thing. Uh, that isn't mutually exclusive to project generation. So you could have one app target with all of your stuff in it or you could say i'm going to go modular but that that doesn't necessarily uh sway one way or the other with generated project sure but i guess my question is more is less about you know cocoa pods was a a sort of a just an example here i I could equally be asking about carthage or about spm Mm -hmm. um i'm mostly curious about stacking all of this tooling in front of getting to the point of being able to be in xcode and hit run right like does does adi- introducing additional generation or abstraction layers, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you brought up the philosophy of it because I want to I want to talk a little more about that in a minute. Um, but does it? Do you find that it takes away some of the control of being able to configure something in your Xcode project directly, or do you find that it provides the ability for bugs or accidental misconfigurations or anything to creep in ahead of you opening the project and hitting run? I've found. At least with Xcode Gen, and again, I've not used the other tools that are out there. Xcode Gen does a really good job of mapping options in your configuration types to like checkboxes or dropdowns in Xcode itself. So, okay, if I need a a box checked or some option set, there is an option for that in Xcode Gen, and I can generate the project and see that it is set the way that I need it to. Um, though the one place where I can see things kind of getting out of hand a little bit is when you pull down a new diff or you rebase onto master or or whatever it is that you do to get changes Mm -hmm. from your remote, you have to regenerate your project because obviously the version of your project is out of date. And if you, uh, because you're not checking in the project file itself. And so that depending on the size of your code base can be a bigger operation than in smaller code bases. Like at Lyft, we've got 800,000 lines of Swift or so roughly. And so Mm -hmm. the project generation can take a while depending on what all it needs to do. So it sounds like there's a little more overhead to get it set up and there's a little more overhead at source control operations, Mm -hmm. right? Is there a point where project generation saves you time? I guess it's, it's... in not having to resolve merge conflicts in your project file. Yeah, I couldn't imagine not having this in a world of 70 other iOS developers working on our mono repo. Okay. Having the, having one project file would be disastrous, I think, for productivity. Uh what's your uh experience with, you know, projects that depend on on other projects, you know, or uh how the 
Xcode project generation intersects with the dependency chain and mm -hmm. and especially in a large product like like you're working with. We can talk about projects depending on like embedding other projects, but really what you are are after is targets depending on other targets and how as as a dependency. So how can you reliably create that target and put it in any context? You can put it in its own project if you want to. You can put it in a workspace and embeds a couple of those projects. But really, uh, you need a target with all of its build settings and everything that you need to get it up and running reliably so that its dependents can ingest it as it needs to as a, as a built product. Like That's really the, the big idea. And so like you can have a framework that is its own project and you can have a project that imports that project if you want to. Uh, in Xcode gen terms, it's, you're going to have a series of targets and those targets could belong to another project. They could belong to the project, the main project that you're generating. It doesn't really matter because you get the, the uh, targets generated reliably as you need. And in, in, so in one case, that's really helped me. Uh, my app scorebook, I needed to do some, or I need to put, put a UI testing uh, target up so that uh, so I could generate screenshots, right, using Fastlane. And it's entirely possible I did this in a terrible way. So I, I'm saying that up front. <laughs> but I added another uh, application target so that I can seed it with test data but not have have that affect my actual product that I ship to the app store. Mm. So I had a second target application that that links against my test data so that way when it spins up it's already got my data in place. And to do this using regular Xcode projects not generated, every time I had a new file, I'd have to target both my applications. But with Xcogen, when I regenerate the project, I just have everything linked as I need to and that can be a step to uh, before I run my UI test to make sure that I've got everything I need in my UI uh, UI test application target uh, or it could not it doesn't it's kind of up to me how I want to do that and that's been a really nice thing so I don't have to remember oh I forgot to add this to this other target I can just generate my project and boom it's done yeah but um, but going back, just doing the thing like adding a single file mm -hmm. with Xcode Gen, you have to think because in Xcode it's just new file done. It's, it's part still of that. The, it's part of the. It's well, it's still that. But how, how did how did your file get into the X into the project generation then? Uh, Xcode Gen takes the state of your repository on disk and spits out a corresponding project. When I do file new project, I'm still adding that file to a target. All right, so when I do uh, file new new source file, I'm still adding that new source file to a target in my my Xcode project. I'm not having to regenerate every time I add a source file. Uh, but how how does Xcode Gen know which target it's going to go in when it does regenerate the file? Based on where it is in disk. Okay, but but. Okay, so first of all, so you've got the constraint there that your file hierarchy is necessarily your target or project hierarchy, mm -hmm. is right. So that's a 
that's a, a constraint. But Xcode will let you create the file somewhere else, right? Like you have to be you have to be conscious in Xcode. Ooh, I need to create this file in the right place so that Xcode Gen will later pick it up. Sure, and, I could add a source right file target. to my Xcode project that's on my desktop. Yeah, but that's again and, not a great practice. <laughs> no, no, it's, no, it's 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 not a good practice. But but that would be a a way you could get in trouble. Like like oh, it was just working. Regenerate the regenerate the Xcode projects. Hey, where did the file go? Just like when you commit make that commit and push it up to source control and ci starts to run it's going to say where's that file yeah it was on my desktop oh i guess i need to put it in the repository and you can you can configure uh xcogen per target where it looks for source files so you can use a an organized file hierarchy which i highly recommend anyways um or you can <laughs> not yeah and you can say for this target here's where every source file is and bring that in you can and i think you can do ignore patterns and that kind of thing so if you wanted to have like one giant my stuff folder with all of your sources you could do that and say but ignore this 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 or this type or this type um you can do that kind of thing i just i i think that kind of gets back to the the team culture or your organizational philosophy of how you want to to build these things up and that that ignore pattern kind of answers the question that I was going to ask, I think, where which was, you know, you've got you've got your two application targets, one with sample data and one without. Um, I was going to be curious what happens when you want the one with your sample data to also have an additional Swift file compiled into it for, mm-hmm. you know, convenience accessors for your sample data or additional debugging methods or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like you can put it in a folder with all your other swift files for that application Mm -hmm. but then ignore it in your app store target yep okay but that's again that's an additional that's an additional piece of target configuration that you'd either have to do in xcode when you add the file Mm -hmm. and or in your xcode gen yaml file and continue to add files yeah yeah okay so the the thing that i want to go back to that i mentioned earlier um you talked about uh, the philosophy mm-hmm. of this um, and what so I, I read through a bunch of the Xcode gen documentation right before we started this I certainly agree that it it looks like they did a great job mapping the options in their YAML files to bits of the Xcode UI right like all the way down to the the location simulator had a, a special flag for you know which GPX file do you want to use or what location do you want to simulate and that, yeah it's cool that they they mirror that so closely. Um, but philosophically, I couldn't escape the feeling that this was, if you really wanted to do something complex or you wanted to make use of the advanced features in Xcode, not only would you have to understand how it worked in Xcode, but additionally, you'd have to understand what the mapping was from Xcode gen into Xcode mm-hmm. before you could really you know, understand what, what was going to happen all the way through the pipeline. Is there... Um, is there a mitigation for that? Is that, you know, secretly a benefit and I just don't see it? <laughs> is there an example that you're thinking of, of like advanced configuration? Sure. So like I've spent a lot of time recently mucking around with the um, the different runtime checkers, you know, so there's that, there's, 
that convenience like main thread checker mm -hmm. right you know it'll yellow you if you try to touch ui kit stuff on or off the main thread yeah and it looked like xcode gen had some options for configuring the main thread checker and that's done on a scheme basis, right? Yeah, that's at the scheme level. Um, but then there are also um, additional environment variables that you can set that provide for more advanced configuration of that. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in front of my Xcode project and I've got this blog post up that says, you know, you're getting started with the main thread checker. Check these two boxes mm -hmm. and add these two pieces of, uh, or these two environment variables in your scheme. Mm -hmm. Like, great, I know where that is in the UI. Yeah. But now what I have to do is take that knowledge, um, which might be tenuous, it might be my first time really messing around with the scheme, mm -hmm. and also work backwards into my Xcode Gen YAML file mm -hmm. or any other, you know, third-party tool. I don't, I don't mean to pick on Xcode Gen in sure. particular here, but any, any generator tool and say, all right, this is the effect that I want in Xcode according to what I know or according to some other source on the internet, even Apple documentation. Mm -hmm. How do I do it in this tool such that it gets back to Xcode and then gets into my app in the way that I want. That's definitely a hurdle to deal with. Uh, there, there's no no getting around that. Um, similar, I hate bringing up like React Native, but similar to like those kinds of frameworks, like as Apple increments iOS and you have your thing written in React Native or in, uh, what's the C Sharp one? Like, not Xamarin. Oh, uh, Xamarin. Xamarin. Any yeah. of those, right? You have to wait right. for those new features from iOS to be built into the frameworks that you're using to build your app. Sure. So there's definitely some hurdle there as you're as you're doing a lot. What's interesting is that uh, most of those new features that we have, mm -hmm. Apple generally defaults those to on. Like the main thread checker, I think, was defaulted to on. So you just had to, would, mm -hmm. would have to bring it up in Xcode, and all of a sudden you got the main thread checker. There's definitely some hurdle there in that configuration. Um, what, what's interesting to me is that I've found that, that going through that process has helped me understand Xcode projects better Okay. to, to like not be afraid of them. Because if I, it, if I screw something up and all of a sudden my project is a, is in a bad state, then, and I don't have this generation thing to fall back on, I'm kind of like in a mild panic, at least initially, because now I've now the thing that's making my application I need to go and fix, and maybe the commit that I'm rolling back was significant, and mm -hmm. and now I'm like, oh no, this is going to take me hours or a day or whatever it is, um, instead of just regenerate the project and try to start over again from a known good spot. So like, as you're adding or as you're wanting to go into deeper parts of the Exo project, there might be some more upfront cost to getting the configuration you need. But I've also found it to be worth it in the long run because I understand it a little bit better. And now that you understand it better, you're still sticking with you. You'd prefer to stick with the generation tool for that safety net mm -hmm. rather than saying, "Hey, you know, I used this as a lever to learn more about Xcode projects, mm -hmm. and now I feel comfortable just flying, you know, flying without the the net, <laughs> so to speak, and just using the project directly." Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, there's so Tim, you're talking about things that you can set up in the in the schemes. That's uh, just reminds me of how how deep the feature set of of Xcode is. That mm -hmm. uh, there are all so many places where you know I'm continually discovering new new things in Xcode. Ooh, you can you can configure you can configure that, and um, 
it it seems um if if each of those things needs to be learned you learn it in xcode and then oh but now i need to learn how to how to do that in mm -hmm. my xcode gen or you know whatever configuration system mm -hmm. it does it, it does add a add a little bit of uh of viscosity to the the process but so but it also reminded me so there are like xcode also has the has user settings right that like you're like for example you're debugging and oh i'm setting i'm setting breakpoints here and i'm adding the breakpoints to the user space and and all this kind of thing um is how does how to um like jerry what's your experience in how uh the project generation plays with your local user level settings like when you re regenerate the project does does it remember that oh you were debugging it last time and you had these breakpoints set but now there's a new project and i don't know what you did and and now you have to set everything up again or does it magically remember yeah that is not as far as i understand part of the pbx proj file um which is the thing that xcode gen largely generates so like my my breakpoints and everything are part of a separate file within the xcode project package right yeah so breakpoints don't get clobbered it, it, the stuff that gets clobbered is, is the pbx proj file when you um, regenerate and, well and and the the schemes and and stuff as well right or or how how does scheme how how do the schemes work schemes are part of the pbx proj file i don't think that's true the targets certainly are um the schemes are in an embedded like an xc workspace X, yeah, directory that's right. inside workspace. the Xcode proj. And they actually, well, they can be in two locations. A scheme, a shared scheme is in that XE workspace and it tends to get committed and put into your uh, repository if you're just committing projects directly. Um, schemes that aren't shared, I think also live inside that XE user data alongside your breakpoints. Okay, so schemes definitely get clobbered. Targets definitely get clobbered. Okay. Uh and that's intentional, yeah, absolutely. right? That's those are the parts that you absolutely. want to regenerate. But stuff like breakpoints, uh, they stick. They stick between between regenerations, depending on the script that runs your regeneration. If you've got a script that, that deletes your Xcode project and then regenerates, obviously you're going to be deleting all of your breakpoints. But mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, then it just regenerates the parts that it needs. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that the just like the Xcode project file is is a. Uh, uh, can be fragile if you go and edit it by hand. The the all the features that interrelate between the different parts of the Xcode the X, Xcode project world seems mm -hmm. like it's fragile, or it could be fragile when you start adding. Like I know Cocoa Pods in the beginning was would break everything when you. <laughs> when you had po the pod uh, uh, doing stuff, so it seems like it's just a, another place where where you have to be aware that oh, things can be fragile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was I was thinking um, that there are Tim when when you were originally talking about about merge conflicts, mm -hmm. um, uh, and of course the Xcode project generation. One of the the uh, motivations is to avoid those i i feel like um there are other ways that teams uh you know before xcode uh project generation uh teams would figure out ways to minimize merge conflicts in in xcode project files 
by saying, oh, you know, rather than having one huge Xcode project file, we should modularize, and that will not only make our our projects more understandable, but also having more Xcode projects will help us reduce merge conflicts, right? Yeah, that was absolutely a benefit. And I, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever, I certainly haven't worked on a team. I'm not sure if I've heard of a team where that was the sole motivation. Um, but certainly that's a, a nice sidecar benefit, right? If you're saying, uh, even at this point, even if you're keeping separate uh, groups of files within the same project because of the the way things get serialized, um, it I think it seems more likely that if two people are adding a file each in two different groups or in two different projects, um, that they're going to wind up further and further apart in the Xcode project on disk format and so not produce a merge conflict when they when they go to get merged because they've got enough static context around them. Mm. Um and I mean that's it it goes back to what Jared was saying about culture, right? Like you really need a team that's on board with that kind of modularization culture to be able to say, you know, hey, we we need to get on board with making sure that our files are going into the right target or into the right project or in, even into the right group. Um but like Jared said, you know, this is this is a place where I think we agree wholeheartedly. Uh, those are best practices, regardless of how you're mm-hmm. you're managing your repo and you're managing your projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the fact that you get the side benefit of fewer merge conflicts, just sign me up. It's also something where some of these things, once you get down the road far enough, you kind of can't go back to the old way. Like it might be hard oh, to yeah, yeah. to switch to Bazel full time and then go back to Xcode build because you've gotten so far into the weeds of how Bazel works as a, as a build system example. But with generating projects, if Apple were in Xcode 12 to completely change the project format and render these tools completely incompatible, we could spit out our Xcode 11 project, start checking it in, like remove that git ignore line, and all of a sudden we're working with Xcode projects checked in again in the new, mm-hmm. in the new world. So it's, it's an easy thing to revert if you decide all these other other cognitive costs aren't worth it. So in my mind, it's also a lighter weight thing to give a shot because of that. Interesting. Is there a way to take an existing repository with a committed Xcode project and say, hey, give me the equivalent uh, Xcode gen config or some other tools config? that would emit this i really wanted to build one and i really wanted it to be like <laughs> the, the capper to my talk in august about xcode gen um but <laughs> i never i never got the got to the point of it actually working i think there's a pr on the xcode gen repo to add that um and it would be a really awesome thing to get started i, I think most projects that aren't like super customized will be pretty straightforward uh, to do on their own you would want to use something like build settings extractor to get all your build settings and xc configs and that kind of thing which For in sure. my mind is a best practice also um yeah. going back to olaf's talk about xo x code uh config files yeah and shout out to james dempsey for absolutely for, doing oh, that. for that tool yeah. yeah absolutely but if you have like a massive project that's got a ton of configuration to it that's going to take some more time to get done but on the whole most projects that aren't like crazy wild configured should be pretty straightforward to to say here's the here are the target types 
here's where the target sources are and the target configs and get started. Okay. The other the other thing that that occurred to me when you're talking about a cognitive overhead um and switching back and forth like this mm-hmm. uh is I wonder, you know, so Xcode projects are kind of the 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 base they're the what's the word? The lowest common denominator mm-hmm. for um people working in the the iOS and Mac app industry, right? At at some point if you want to ship something off to the App Store, you're going to have to touch Xcode. Mm-hmm. Um and so as a result, if you know, as people are switching teams, switching jobs, working on new open source projects, that is kind of the you you know, you're going to clone this source base and you have to be able to open Xcode and and build it at some point. Yeah. Um and I'm wondering how much the relative popularity of tools like Xcode Gen influence is there kind of a snowball effect right like if xcode gen gets more and more popular and adopted in more and more places Mm -hmm. um is it going to become more of an expectation that teams use it or be able to use it is it a you know more of a marketable job skill that sort of a thing i think especially especially in teams that are 10 or more probably you start to get to the place where you have the role for the tools guy or the tools engineer to the DevOps. Exactly. Who can, who would be the one responsible for doing the project generation and CI and, and your dependencies pipeline and all those different things. Um, and so at that point, a new hire should be able to be given a laptop, say clone this repository, run this command and you're ready to go. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, is that a is that a, um, the the transition from team that works without a a tools guy, <laughs> as you put it, to a team that um, that needs a a, a tools guy? Um, uh, uh, Jared, what, would you say that that that's the team? You know that's a team transition where if you're not using and some kind of Xcode generation uh, tool, that team is missing out on something. Um, and uh, smaller than that size, um, there are great, um, uh, you know, good good reasons to to do either either way. Like I I know you're a, a, a you're one person projects. You're using um, X project generation mm-hmm. and, and and you like it mm-hmm. but i could um i could see good reasons to to stay away from it as well for small teams but it seems like for as the team grows large there's a there's a transition where where you've got to do it for for everyone's sanity yeah it's it, it could be a team thing it could a team size thing it could be a project size thing too like if you have a large number of dependencies then like eventually it's either going to become part of someone's job or it's going to, and they're, they're the tools person alongside doing whatever features or, or whatever things that they normally do. Uh, or it's going to become, that's their job is to maintaining like the CI pipeline. Cause how many, how many times have you seen the team that's got the, the person who kind of does Jenkins on the side and every time they need to go and do Jenkins things like Jenkins is broken again, they have to go and kind of relearn <laughs> it a little bit or, or the thing takes longer to do because they're not in it all the time. Um, I think it, it depends on, on the actual, like 
shape of the project. Uh, but you might need that that tools engineer to help you do CI things and and dependency management things earlier on than like a team of 10. It just depends on the size of the project that you're working with, really. It's yeah. it's so variable. And I, like, I won't say that that this is necessary for every size of every project. I've come to like it for my stuff because it's it's just like the workflow that I'm used to now. All right. Well, we've been we've been yapping on about this topic for a while. I'm yeah. I'm tempted to say um, spare our listeners uh, <laughs> uh, more more misery. Um, but uh, any uh, any closing thoughts, uh, uh, Tim? Oh, sure. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot for sure. Um, you know, I'll, I'll fess up that I haven't. I've I've played with a couple of small sample projects and a couple different build systems and generators, but haven't really used it um, in earnest or on a large team like Jared has. Uh, and so I have I think I have a better understanding of of where the the costs and benefits are. Um, and I appreciate that we kind of closed on that discussion of that inflection point where maybe it makes a little more sense. Um, but for me personally, I think I'm gonna. I'm going to stick with my my tried and true PBX proj files. <laughs> Closing thoughts uh Jared. Man, I've I've really come to enjoy generating Xcode projects. I think they've made uh my my workflow better, my knowledge of tooling better, and it's just an an itch I didn't know needed scratching before I before I learned about them. Um and I I would encourage people especially if you are on a team that is frustrated by merge conflicts, um, give it a shot <laughs> because you never know. <laughs> you never know when you'll find uh, a new tool that's going to help everybody out. Modularize your projects too. <laughs> I've got to say, I, I yeah, yeah. Mod- <laughs> I got to say, I am very happy to to be able to have the choice. Um, uh, some at at work, there are things we could not do uh without it and I, there are uh projects i'm working on by myself where i don't want to go near um the kind of complexity because i just want to to uh get things done quickly mm-hmm. and um my my brain is uh doesn't my brain still lives in a hundred percent in the xcode world and 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 uh it's happy it's happy <laughs> in that kind of comfort zone so I am, but I'm happy to have the have the choice and and know that those features are out there if I if I need them. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for hopping on the podcast this month. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It was is enjoyable. Yeah. I hope we can convene in person soon. Uh, I hope so too. We we have a lot to um, we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to mourn and a lot to a lot of camaraderie that that needs. Uh, needs camaraderie <laughs> absolutely <laughs> all right guys have a good one